chapter 16. As mentioned, we are here at the end of Mark. Um, today's sermon will finish uh, the, the uh, gospel book at, as it is. Um, but next week, we're going to have just an excellent opportunity to kind of look back and reflect through the whole, this whole beautiful narrative of Jesus. And so, um, but we'll be wrapping up the book officially today. So Mark chapter 15, we'll read our text here in a moment. Um, usually I keep track of this because I really, I love to share quotes or references from Lord of the Rings. I, I think it's been a little while, so I, I think it's permissible this morning. But one of, one of the most intense and greatest battles in Lord of the Rings story is the Battle of Helm's Deep. Uh, and the Aragon and his army is trapped, they're held up uh, in this, this fortress and Seemingly, defeat is coming. They're swarmed in darkness. Death is everywhere. Soromon and his wicked army of orcs and Urukai are crushing them. It seems like defeat is coming. In the movie adaptation, this amazing scene where uh, Aragon is, he's, they feel like this is the end, and he, he sees light sort of piercing through a window, and he, he remembers something. He remembers a quote uh, of a statement, a promise by Gandalf that Gandalf had set off to get reinforcements and he had yet to return, but he remembered that he had told him, look to my coming at first light on the fifth day at dawn, look to the east. And something sparked in him. There was a, a, an amount of courage that, that rose up within him as he saw that light. He remembered his words. He was filled with courage. He rallies King Theoden for one last ride in victory or in death. They mount up, they charge out of the fortress into the fray of all the darkness there, and then coming upon the far mountain, Gandalf appears, and the sun rising right behind, of him, behind him, and the book captures this, says, there suddenly upon a ridge appeared a rider clad in white, shining in the rising sun. Behold the white rider, cried Aragon, Gandalf is coming down, and then he comes down the hill, thousands of soldiers. And it says, the white rider was upon them, and the terror of his coming filled the enemy with madness. The wild men fell on their faces before him. The orcs reeled and screamed and cast aside both sword and spear. Like a black smoke driven by a mounting wind, they fled. Wailing, they passed under the waiting shadow of the trees, and from that shadow none ever came again. This, this strength, this courage that rose up within Aragon was a reference to a promise, a, a word that had been fulfilled there with his arrival. Victory came at that sunrise with a courage that came by the word or a promise of the white rider. Now we come to the end of Mark today and, and it leaves us with a very a rather interesting ending. As we're going to see, one that concludes, yes, with an amazing message of hope. Jesus is not on the cross or in the tomb. A message of hope, yet there's a cliffhanger, a, a question that sort of is left with us, the reader, the hearer. What's, what's next? What, what will you do? What, what will you do with this message of Jesus, his identity, his word? As a disciple, and how we respond to that question will be based on what we what we do with it. Will we rely on Jesus and His identity and who He is and what He did? Will we trust on His words as His disciple? And much like Gandalf's word to Aragon, the news of a 
crucified, risen Savior changes everything. And our call is to respond to that in faith. And in, it in also, for us, will instill a courage that will lead to faithfulness in life. And so let us read our text this morning, and we'll pray. We're going to back up this morning a little bit to verse 40 that we did read last week, and it'll help frame our, our section this morning. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph, and of Salome. And when he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage, the NIV would say, or went boldly, and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have di- had already died, and summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he had learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, a mother of Joseph, saw where he, had, he was laid. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, and they went to see the tomb, and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for, for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled, rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And, they, and he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb. For trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Join me as we pray. Well, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word that comes to us to tell us of what you, what you have accomplished for our salvation. And Lord, as we come to your word, we know that there is, there is no understanding, no insight, no faith, no conviction, no hope that will come without the work of your spirit. And so would you come, Holy Spirit, be with us, empower me as I share. Would you be with us as a church to hear and receive your word? And, and we would come to know more deeply the crucified, risen Savior that we love and that we follow Amen. Amen. Now, it wouldn't be appropriate to end Mark without a very Markan feature. 
One more Markin sandwich. If you remember, this is a literary sort of feature device that Mark uses as he tells stories, where we have a, a story A, and then with characters and situation, we move to story B, which seems disconnected, and then we return to story A, uh, which is very similar to story uh, uh, A again, uh, to reinforce what is going on in part B, the middle of the sandwich, with a deeper lesson and strengthening the point or truth. And so we have one of those here this morning. The first part, we read of three women looking on to the crucifixion with other women, and then we see Joseph in the middle, and then we return to the story of three women again. So we're going to kind of walk through those. So it begins with the women looking on from a, they're watching from a safe distance, from afar, watching on to what is taking place to Jesus in his crucifixion at Golgotha. Three women are named, Mary Magdalene, or we probably reference to where she's from, Mary of Magdala. Luke records that this is a woman that Jesus had cast demons out of. There's Mary, mother of James and Joseph. This is likely Jesus' mother. We don't know for certain, but it's likely Jesus' mother, and then Salome, which we know from Matthew's gospel, is the mother of the, the sons of thunder, James and John. And back when Jesus was in Galilee, they ministered to him along with many, many other women. And, and Mark uses names here, and it's somewhat rare in his book, but I believe so because he's affirming the testimony of what is taking place. This is, these are historical realities. These are truthful witnesses of what had happened, and this isn't a fabrication. If you wanted to know, you could go talk to these women. So the women watch from afar. They're not near the chaos. They're from afar. And then the scene shifts to, to our middle portion. It's now later on Friday, we understand. Late afternoon, before sunset, before the Sabbath, which is Saturday. And we're introduced to a man, Joseph of Arimathea. And he was an important figure, influential. It's a, we're given this detail. He was a respected member of the council, likely maybe that very council of the Sanhedrin that gathered to, to condemn Jesus. He was likely wealthy. And it says that Joseph was looking or waiting for the kingdom of God. Now, Many Jews were anticipating the Messiah, and he was among them. But, but the way that he moves towards Jesus after his death, towards his body, to honor his body, gives us the impression that, that he was probably a follower of Jesus. Don't have the term disciple, but likely a follower of Jesus. He saw a reality that Christ, that Jesus was the Christ. And, and he's an elite Jewish leader. I think maybe we should see the contrast here. We've got early, we saw last week this centurion, the Gentile pagan, and his confession of who Jesus is. And now we have this Jewish important leader moving towards Jesus. And there is a, an affection both for the centurion and now for Joseph. The gospel is good news for all people. And now the Jewish law would require burial to take place just before sundown. So it was customary that they would wrap a body up and place them in a tomb cut in limestone, more than likely, and then a stone rolled over the entrance. And this is what Joseph is seeking to do, to honor the death of 
Jesus' body. And Joseph does something very risky. This is what should catch our attention in this piece of narrative. He goes to Pilate. Now, what have we just heard that Pilate did? Pilate had the role of scourging Jesus. He had the role of sending Jesus to his death as a vicious criminal. The one that ordered the execution of Jesus, he's now going to him to ask for the body of Jesus. Jesus was a criminal, a criminal of Rome. And this act could very much put him in a place of jeopardy as seen as somebody who is for Jesus and likewise a criminal, an enemy of Rome. This was a risky move, yet he was willing to suffer and put himself in risk to honor Jesus, not keep his own honor. That's why we see he took courage. It took boldness for him to move towards Pilate. And when he found out that Jesus was dead, it says Pilate was surprised by this. Jesus was already dead. How, how did this happen? Why so quickly? Well, if you recall, we talked about last week when they crucified somebody, it would oftentimes take days for that person to die on a crucifix. They would leave, even after that, they would just leave the corpse there just to rot and for the animals or whatever to eat from, more to communicate Rome's power and their punishment for rebellion. And yet Pilate is surprised that Jesus had already passed. He's already dead. Remember, we've seen the function of irony throughout Mark and Donald English comments on this. He says, this is, also, is this also part of the irony of Mark's account? He who was strong enough to resist death's onslaught for a very long is nevertheless the one who by his death is setting the many free. Jesus is not dictated by the power of death but dictates death's power by his own. This is our Savior. But Mark is affirming he did die. Jesus did die. It is affirmed by the centurion. It is affirmed by Pilate and by Joseph. We even see this word corpse communicating that Jesus is dead. Jesus takes the body, or Joseph takes the body of Jesus. Time is ticking. Sundown is coming wraps his body in linen, lays him in the tomb, shows him honor and devotion to the body of Jesus. We saw in another narrative very similar. Remember the woman who came in with the alabaster jar, a risky move for her to move in with among those men, pouring out devotion, something costly in preparing Jesus for burial. The women, are told, we told, are watching. They see where he's laid. They see... Likely the tomb closed up with the stone. And then we shift back to the women. The three women listed earlier. Women are the first ones there moving towards Jesus after his death. Not men. In Judaism, the testimony of women was not regarded very with weight. It often would not be accepted in testimony is more proof of the certainty of the story and of Jesus' death. Why would they include, why would God want women to be included to testify of this if it was so easily rejected? 
It was a beautiful reminder of Jesus and his honor of women. It would be them that would be the first to hear of this news and then be commissioned to take it. How kind of Jesus. So they go to anoint Jesus with, with spices. This was not an, an embalming. Uh, this was to perfume the body, to anoint the body, to honor the body, and, and also in turn to help limit the smell that would come from the de composition. And note, note we got to pick up on this anxiety that's in the, the narrative as the women go, who's, who's going to open the tomb for us? How are we going to do this? And it says that the sun was, has just come up. Maybe it was so very early in the morning they were seeking to avoid encountering other people based on the fear of what could happen to them. But I love the contrast. The, the darkness had vanished now from Golgotha and the light has dawned. The sun had come up. And they go to the tomb, expecting to see the stone over the tomb and worrying about who's going to roll it away. And to their surprise, it, it's rolled away. Giant, heavy stone has been rolled away. They go in, and a young man is sitting there on the right side, dressed in a white robe. This was clearly an angelic being, a divine messenger. We see other encounters of angels and divine beings. It's met with fear, and here they are. They are met with fear. Alarm, it says. And the angel tells them, do not be alarmed. Jesus of Nazareth, who you seek, who was crucified, he has risen. He has risen. The NIV, I think, says he was raised. God, meaning God has raised his beloved son. By the power of God, the son has been raised. And note the angelic pronouncement. It includes the crucified Jesus and that he is risen. Two realities that are never detached from the gospel message. The crucified Lord and the risen Lord. His life, his death, and resurrection are all parts of the gospel message. The one crucified as a criminal under a curse is the one risen who is truly innocent and who is Messiah. We recognized last week the climax of Mark's gospel. Jesus' substitutionary death on the cross, the confession of the centurion. It was the climax, but it wasn't the conclusion of the gospel. The high point of God's plan of redemption, the atonement for sins, but his resurrection shows us that Jesus' victory, Jesus' victory in the sacrifice as Messiah, as King. So Jesus conquered his enemies, he conquered death, he conquered sins. So, the climax was his substitutionary death, but the conclusion was that he was placed victorious in his resurrection. Another reflection from Jesus' fulfillment of Isaiah's suffering servant. The one who suffered was the one that would be lifted up. Isaiah 52 Verse 13 says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. So because he poured out himself to death for the sins of many, God has lifted him up and exalted him. So he's risen. He's now on his throne as Savior. And the angel says, look, see, he's not here. 
he, he predicted this. Three times he predicted that he would suffer, he would die and rise. And now, see, he has fulfilled his word. His word is true. He is faithful and true. You saw that he was buried Friday, and now it's Sunday. Look at the place, inspect. He is not here. He has been exalted. He has risen. So they were giving them, he was reminding them and giving them the news of Jesus' promise being fulfilled. But it wasn't just him giving them news. It was they were supposed to go with news. Look at verse 7. Look, see, he's not here, but now go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Just as he told you. When did he tell them this? This was a fulfillment of what Jesus said in chapter 14. Remember Jesus speaking with his disciples after the Passover meal? He says, You will all fall away as it is written. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Jesus tells them, you're all going to fall away. Of course, remember Peter chimes in, not, not me, maybe all of them will, but I am not going to do that, Jesus. Remember, Galilee was the place of really their home. This is where Jesus called these disciples. This is where they would return home. And Jesus told them, after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Jesus is struck. They all do fall away and run away, and we witness Peter's gross disowning of Jesus. They Remember in that moment, we reflected on that when we were in chapter 14, they, they just glazed over that statement, glazed over Jesus' promise that he would be raised up and that he would go before them and be with them again. Now I can imagine in this moment, wherever the disciples were, huddled up, hiding in pain and grief and loss. They weren't thinking of this promise as well. How could they have remembered that now? And yet Jesus' promise in the thick of their grief and their loss and their faithlessness is before them still. I go before you. I go before you, and after you have been scattered in all your faith, failure and faithlessness, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to show up again. I'm going to regather my beloved disciples whom I've called, and this is my promise to you. Remember what I told you. Jesus knew and was fully aware of the fear and the obstacles and the weaknesses of the disciples. He knew that. And I love this little promise embedded in the message from the angel, God God speaking this to his disciples, words to these angels, mindful mindful of the guilt-ridden Peter, the the shame-riddled Peter, after denying the Savior, he says, go tell the disciples and be sure to tell Peter. Be sure to tell Peter, because I know where he's tempted. I know what he's facing right now in his shame, in his weakness, but I want him to be sure he knows I love him. 
and I'm going to show up for him. How kind. So he tells them to go to Galilee. They're going to see them in Galilee, just as he told them. And what happens next, next after this is, is very odd. This amazingly good news, this epic news, the women who watch from afar, from a distance, now hear this epic news of Jesus being risen from the dead. He is not in the tomb. And it says they fled. They run away afraid. This echoes the words of the disciples' flight in the garden. The exact words. They fled. It says they fear seized them. And that they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Quite the opposite of boldness and courage. Mouth closed running in fear. What? He told them to go tell the disciples this good news, and it says they didn't tell anyone. They didn't do it. Throughout Mark, we saw these very interesting moments where Jesus would heal or deliver, and he would tell them, don't share. It wasn't time. It wasn't time. One of his first miracles, he cleansed the leper and he sent him away with a strong warning, chapter 1. See that you don't tell this to anyone. And now, here we have this commission to tell of the news. This is actually our first time that people are commanded to go tell of this good news. And the response is fear and no news spreading. What is going on here? Well, we come to a, a debated topic in the book of Mark, the end of Mark, and you may have noticed when I stopped in verse 8, this, there is a debate on where Mark ends, either at verse 8 or through a longer section, 9 through 20. And you might have a little footnote in your Bible with that description. Many scholars have agreed that the earliest and most reliable manuscripts did not include verses 9 through 20. There's speculation around that because part of it is like it ends weird. That doesn't make sense. Or that there, the ending was possibly lost and possibly people filled in what could be a more extended story. But I believe we end here at verse 8. But it, there's no worry. There's no like, it doesn't affect our theology or the good news of the gospel with or without those remaining verses. But it leaves us with this very strange conclusion. Mark does not end with this nice, tidy bow but an abrupt, cliffhanging mid-sentence. The, the last word, actually, in the original Greek is the word gar, or for. You know, like, I, I got an urgent text from Hillary, come home as soon as you can, so I ran out of my meeting for. Just like, okay, what, what next? What, what's going to happen? Was it some bad news? Was it good news? Mark ends. They said nothing, for they were afraid. Imagine being the first hearers of this. That, that's strange. That's disheartening. It's as if the entire powerful story of Jesus ends in failure, not victory. Or maybe he did rise and he accomplished his mission, but his disciples failed to do anything with it. They run off scared, silenced in fear. No good news spread. End of story. We have to feel this moment. 
They run off in fear. They don't tell anyone. What will happen with this news of the crucified risen Savior? What happens to these disciples? I remember Mark's first hearers, who he, who he authored this book to. Those, those who received his words were in Rome, those group of Christians fearful under Roman rule, and he's encouraging them to know Jesus, to follow Jesus. They, they didn't have the book of Acts like we have with the continuation of this story, but they've heard these stories, and they're, but they're trusting by faith in Jesus and his life and death and resurrection, but, but they too were disciples prone to fearful hearts, prone to doubt. They had not seen the risen Savior, Jesus, but were trusting on a saving message of Jesus, of a crucified risen King, whom they had not seen, but they, they were called to follow Him, obey Him, trust in His words in the face of persecution and fear to take, take courage, to be bold, to follow Jesus. So I think the cliffhanger leaves us with this call to trust, a question in essence to to take courage. Will you trust Jesus? Will you place your hope in Jesus? We have seen throughout Mark, true discipleship is not a response to tantalizing miracles, not just because what you see. Observations of them do not provoke saving faith. It is encountering Jesus. It is putting your faith on the person of Jesus, on the one who would suffer, die, and rise as a ransom and redemption for his people. It is the word of the gospel, the good news. See, this angel is proclaiming the completed good news of Jesus, of what he began in chapter 1 and now is fulfilled with the crucified, risen Christ before them. An example you would see in Joseph, courage to honor Jesus while walking in the face of an opportunity of loss and risk. So the question hangs out there at the end of Mark. When we are confronted, trembling, ready to flee, what word will we trust to save? And whom will we trust to save? Fear sees them. There are things that seize us. Doubts and anxieties and fears that seize us, will we trust the Savior? As a disciple, serving Him for His sake, trusting in Him, taking courage for what He in what He has done. It's not right for us to stand from afar and just observe. It's not right for us to flee in fear and in rejection, but to follow Jesus. In the face of fearful realities, take courage, someone like Joseph, and follow him, ready to suffer for his sake, because we follow a crucified and risen Savior. They could do it because it was true of what he has done. We can do that because it is true of what he has done. For his disciples, we can take courage and have hope, for we trust in a crucified, risen Savior who is King. And what have we seen in Mark? That he rules over all creation. He stills the storms. He has power to forgive sins. He is the one who pushes back darkness. 
He is the one who's defeated demons and Satan and overcomes sickness. He is the conquering Lord and King. And we hear His words. We hear His words to say He is with His disciples to the end. Even in all of their failings. Even in all their weaknesses. Even in all the things that grip our hearts. So what has, what has seized you today? What, what is seizing your heart? It could be something very close, like inward, internal. It could be a failure or something seizing your life based on something happening to you from someone. Maybe it's something far off, just like the news that you watch every day. Something that's causing alarm, something that's causing worry, something that would tempt you to run away with an anxious heart. Disciples of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, we have a risen King. We have a Savior that we can move towards, not in condemnation or away from in fear, but move towards in faith because we have His words. We have His gospel. And this is, this is a key, I think, here, is Mark leaves us with evaluation. Yes, Lord, we want to grow in courage and boldness, but it is also a reminder that in all of, the, all of the call for us to walk in faithfulness, His hope and promises come to those disciples who are weak and struggling. The disciples didn't have to try to find something inside of them. They were supposed to look to someone outside of them. Jesus Christ, the one who fulfills his promises, I told you. Remember what I have told you. Remember what I called you even before your weakness and failures. A powerful, crucified, risen king whose words are faithful and true. Courage comes by faith in him, not in us looking to our abilities and strengths. Back In Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We know the news, we know this news does get to the disciples, right? We know the rest of the story. The news does go to the disciples. Jesus does appear to his disciples as he promised, and he sends the Holy Spirit and it ignites a glorious missional spread through the world of this good news where more disciples are saved and made. But how did this happen? Well, Jesus calls again to himself the ones he chose that abandoned him. Again, the accent isn't in the fear and faithlessness of the disciples running away. It's in the faithful Savior who calls. It is the faithful Savior who has power to redeem his weak disciples. My last sermon wouldn't be complete without one more quote from James Edwards. I would encourage you to, if you want to dig into the book of Mark, his commentary is so good. He says this, The first act of Jesus' ministry was the calling of four fishermen into community with himself. And the first word of the resurrected Jesus is the reconvening of the same community of disciples. God completes his plans for the church despite human failure. God completes His plans for His church despite human failure. I appreciate 
and love the humanity embedded in the gospel of Mark. I hope you have too. Captured everywhere, the fears, the worries, the shame, the desperation, the brokenness, the darkness, the doubts, the anxious hearts. I mean, after all the pain of the garden and Jesus' suffering and his crucifixion, that the promise that Jesus would meet them was likely the farthest farthest things from their hearts and their minds. Maybe swallowed up in their loss and their pain and their ache. Isn't it like us in those moments? It could be his promises, his words to us could be the farthest things from our heart and mind. But it it doesn't mean we are not his people or his disciples. It just means we need to hear again his good news. It means we just need to hear again that he is near and he loves us even in our weakness and our doubts. The good news is for disciples that there is room for doubters and weak disciples who struggle with fear and anxiety. It's actually why he has come. He's come for those kind of disciples. Mark could have painted for us this Avengers squad of super disciples, but he chose not to. He chose not to. He chose to show us that even in human weakness and failure, Jesus finishes his work for his people. He is there for his people. He is keeping his people. He loves his disciples even in trembling and bewilderment, even when they are afraid or when they're fleeing. Dozens of examples again and again in Mark show us this, but it's a reminder discipleship following Jesus is not easy. But we do it and we can because we are not in the end kept by our faithfulness, but but the faithfulness of Jesus. Donald English writes, Faith is to be a daily exercise of walking to where the Lord has gone, believing him to be there and find him to be so. For disciples, it is our daily exercise to wake up again, wherever our hearts may be, whatever thing is seizing us, if it's a struggle with sin or a struggle with doubt and fear or a struggle with facing suffering coming down our way and say, Jesus, you walk before us. You are a faithful, suffering, crucified, risen Savior, and you're with me. An exercise of faith to turn in faith and say, Lord, you're going to be there as you told us so. A turn in faith, a turn in trust. So disciples have faith on a crucified, risen Savior, and therefore it's faith not by sight, but faith on a Savior, on his promises, on his words, not hope in our feelings or something we see demanding miracles, but on the person of Jesus Christ. So as disciples, we can encounter fear. We can encounter fear, but by his grace and his promises, we find courage to keep on in the face of that. We can take courage knowing that as we trust him, as we obey him, we know we are going somewhere that Jesus himself has gone, and he's going to be faithful and true. And we can be okay with, with our weaknesses as his disciples. We can admit to them. We, we know we're prone to them in our, in our sin, in our struggles. And yet we, we don't look inward, we look outward 
to the faithfulness of Jesus. Jesus, who entered into our weakness so we can be made strong, find forgiveness, and we can be reminded that it is Jesus who, who like to Peter, I, I love you, I'm considering you, I think of you, I know you, I love you, and I'm going to keep you. So Mark gives us the story of the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Mark 1, 1. Consider that here, saints. Here we are, 2022. The continuation of this glorious gospel, the story of his redemption, the story of salvation, the story of his calling of his disciples, the story of God using weak people to hear his news and tell of his news and to continue in the good of his news. We, we are here, saints, many, many years later, walking in the good of that good news today. And we get to continue in the good of that news. And we continue in that news because we have a Savior who is with us. We, we trust in His promises to us. And we can face with courage whatever we're going through and boldness and in our weakness because, because much like Jesus saying, I'm going before you and I'm going to be there again. There is another coming that we expect from our Savior. A return. See, we, we love a Savior that we have not yet seen. And yet we trust and we believe and we follow His words. And one day He's going to return and gather up all of His beloved, beloved disciples. And we are going to see Him as He told us. And we're going to be with Him forever. And we wait for the fullness of his kingdom. So we were told back in Mark chapter 13, we, we watch. We watch and we wait for the fullness of his kingdom to come. So church, we can take courage. We can take courage today as disciples of Jesus with faith and hope in his word. Because we follow a crucified, risen king who is the son of God, who has come and who is keeping and is coming again. So we follow Jesus and his words. We serve like him as servants, pursuing true greatness in humility like our Savior. And we, we're ready, we're poised with boldness by the, his power to encounter suffering for his sake as we, we walk and follow him and bear our own cross. And we get to go in courage with that good news, that good news of a crucified, risen Savior. And so my, my hope as we have moved through Mark and as we think again next week and reminded of themes that, that we, get to, we get to lay hold of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus in a fresh way, ongoing. This, this, we don't stop doing that when we move off Mark. I'm excited that we're going to move into Philippians upcoming because we're going we're gonna to see that taking shape and how it colors even more of what that means to follow Jesus, to be his disciples and what his good news means. So let's do that, church. Let's go encourage. Let's be reminded that we have a crucified, risen Savior that has commissioned us with that good news. And we can go, we can follow him, we can serve like him, we can suffer for his sake. Jesus, thank you for Thank you for this good news that these, these women heard and 
they did take. They did take and they did share. And that we now have, because of a power that met the disciples, not within themselves, but that came from you, Jesus. And Lord, anything that we could do to follow you and continue continue in this, this mission that you, your mission, Jesus, of taking and heralding and communicating and living in this good news, we, we know it will come by us being connected to you. It's not going to come with something within us, internally within us. Left to ourselves, we would, we would run away fearful, cowardly, unfaithful, gripped by our weakness and our sin, and yet as we look to you, Jesus, we find ourselves forgiven. We find ourselves empowered. We find ourselves clothed in your strength and your help, and we can then serve like you, Jesus. We can then be prepared to suffer like you for your sake, Jesus, so that the good news continues, so that the beginning of the good news of your gospel, Lord, continues through your church today, even in the midst of human weakness. Lord, I pray for anybody here that that maybe the reality of fear, a, a fear that has seized somebody's heart or an anxiety that has seized someone's heart, Jesus, they would they would hear your glorious words to them, that you're near, that you love them, that you're there with them, that you are the powerful, crucified, risen Savior. Lord, and you want to comfort and strengthen them in that fear. That, Lord, you conquered death, the, the last enemy, the worst enemy, Lord. And if you have conquered that, Lord Jesus, you can have power and strength to to meet any fear and anxiety. So meet your church in that. And would you embolden us, Lord, with courage as your people to be more bold and more courageous with you, Jesus, to a world that needs to hear your gospel. Let us go with that news, Jesus, in your power. Amen.